today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Troubling pictures uh, over the weekend, of course, of uh, the devastation that's going on in Ukraine. The war, of course, continues to rage, uh, but the missile attacks uh, on civilian targets, we might add, uh, continue. And uh, as Charles de la Desma reports, uh, details have now been released about how many people were actually killed and wounded as a result of Russia's shelling of Ukraine cities. Ukraine's state emergencies service say that at least 19 people were killed and over 100 others wounded in Monday's Russian missile strikes across Ukraine. The service adds critical infrastructure facilities were hit in Kyiv and 12 other regions and 301 cities and towns were without power. Russia on Monday retaliated for an attack on a critical bridge by unleashing its most widespread strikes against Ukraine in months. They hit at least 14 areas, with most attacks far from the war's front lines. I'm Charles de la Desma. So, uh, as we mentioned, uh, G7 leaders are meeting and, and talking about exactly what may or may not be happening. NATO's looking at this right now. What are the next steps going to be and what are the implications of that? Uh, to discuss this, please to welcome back to the program Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science with Carleton University. Uh, Elliot, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, the time today. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Good morning, Bill. First of all, let me, give, give me your read, Elian, on what you've seen happen over the last two or three days. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, first of all, of course, was the destruction of the bridge between Crimea and Russia. Putin is blaming Ukraine. They have not uh, said that they have done it, but they haven't said they haven't either. So I don't know where we are with that. Uh, but this is the, this is what Putin calls retaliation for uh, an attack against his country. And, and we've seen what that entails. Yes, he called <laughs> He called it a terror attack, an attack, and he had to respond to terrorism. Um, the Ukrainian theater has uh, fluctuated considerably over time. What the Russians wanted to do, as we well know, was a one-week war. That didn't work out. They wanted them to take over all of the Donbass. That didn't work out. In fact, uh, they are being pushed back there. Uh, the attack on the bridge... Again, we don't have confirmation, but it's highly likely that was done by Ukraine. It's uh, it almost certainly done by Ukraine in a very audacious factor. That bridge, by the way, it's worth taking a look at a map on that one. Uh, that was the bridge connecting Crimea, seized by Russia in 2014, uh, with Russia proper. And it was a major source of military supply. It's a very strategic as well as symbolic a bridge because uh, Mr. Putin himself put a lot of personal prestige into that bridge. He drove across it when it opened in uh, May of 2018. So a huge psychological and practical blow was struck against the Russians. Then we've seen this massive counter, uh, what he calls a counterattack. Mr. Putin, I think, was responding to a lot of pressure at home because the dissension within key allied sectors of the elite have now been going after each other, Bill. They're, they're saying, hey, something's gone wrong. We can't. They never blame Mr. Putin, but they do blame each other now. So he, this was an attempt to rally um, support behind an aggressive response to what was a humiliating, humiliating attack. The scope of it uh, is very worth noting, and you, uh, I think, did that well in the opening uh, comment. Well, what, what, if anything, is it going to do to the military actions of the Russians at this stage, though? Elliot, I, 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 I got your point about, you know, this was a major uh, element here of, of movement of goods and troops back and forth. 
Uh, is it going to be a major blow to, to Russian troops that are already uh, having some problems of what's going on on the battlefield? The repair of the bridge apparently has moved fairly quickly. It's a parallel bridge. There's uh, train tracks paralleling uh, vehicular uh, uh, it's, it's, it's really a major artery. A lot of Russians like to winter and did we, go to the beaches did we, did we and lovely Crimea. So well worth looking up on the web. But uh, those are being repaired nicely now. But the, um, the the crushing blow to morale, I think, and the response to it now takes us into a new phase of the war. So there's that element of it. Uh, the other element, of course, is what's happening in the areas that Russia has now claimed to be theirs. Uh, and an interesting and, I guess, very predictable thing has happened because we were told uh, that one of the things that Putin was going to do was basically start drafting some of the, uh, the young males in those areas into the Russian army, uh, many of whom feel that they are Ukrainian, not Russian. Uh, and he basically wants Ukrainians fighting Ukrainians, I suppose. And there's a, an attempted mass exodus uh, of, of these young men to try to get out of there before their names are called. Not unlike what's going on in Russia these days, Elliot. Yes, uh, it's now being pointed out. I think you and I maybe talked about a little earlier that more people are fleeing Russia than <laughs> to get out than, in fact, are being mobilized. Uh, this Russia, this Russian mobilization was an admission that the military front was really a failure. The, the loss of troops on the front led to the war hawks, to the military side of this equation, to say we need more people. Mr. Putin then had to go to the highly unpopular move, as we've, I think, discussed, of this mobilization, which becomes a draft. And yes, it might even include then trying to take in people who are in those recently annexed Russian territory. You can imagine, do you really want to arm those people, give them guns and training? Uh, when they, uh, they've been forced into uh, fighting. So the Russians really are short on manpower, short on strategy. I think, um, I think we should talk a bit about two major impacts now. We, the, the impact on uh, the people of Ukraine is very clear. They've been brutalized once again by a major escalation. But what we've seen now is that the... A few things. First of all, the Russians uh, launched, among other things, <laughs> the new Iranian drones, which Iran denies they have sold to the Russians. So this has been used to great effect. So there's new weapons being introduced, and now new defenses are needed. But the major impacts, I think, are two. The first is that there's now going to be a very important bill, uh, military upgrade for Ukraine. As a result of this recent wave of, of uh, attacks on civilian infrastructure, on, on uh, trying to freeze out the, Russia, the uh, Ukrainian population and to terrorize them, the major response is going to be a major military up upgrade for Ukraine. They are now going to get what they didn't have, advanced anti-missile and ground-to-air support. So far, this war has... Uh, not led to a no-fly zone. The West is not willing to directly run into Russian aircraft in the air because that would lead to World War III. But there has, there's been an anti-missile defense shields and other weapons on the ground. That's going to be significantly enhanced right now. There's going to be more support for, uh, by the U.S., uh, by NATO, the EU. Germany is worth keeping an eye on. Also, a major military upgrade for ground-based offensives. 
I think, Phil, the second major thing that we're seeing in front of us is going to be a major Russian tactical shift in the conduct of this war. The war until now, as we know, has been basically throw a lot of people off the front lines, use your overwhelming strength, and of course the Ukrainian uh, non-existent state would crumble, and that would be that. The whole area would be reintegrated into Mother Russia. Clearly that doesn't happen. So now the Russian tactical shift we can see in front of us is very important. They've appointed a single commander for the entire Ukrainian theater for the first time. Uh, Sergei, uh, th this fellow um, uh, is well known for a ruthless set of tactics. He fought in Chechnya, Tajikistan. He's also uh, very much involved in the, the war crimes in Syria. He's known to be very ruthless. And I think the fact that he's now overall in charge does not bode well. There's also, I think, another shift in that this attack on civilian infrastructure all across Ukraine was to rely not only on a brand new general, but an old general, General Winter. Russia is counting on winter coming. And with all these attacks on the energy infrastructure, that's going to put pressure on Ukraine to, uh, to weaken their resolve and also to weaken Europe's resolve because the energy going out from Ukraine and from Russia to Europe is now stopped. We talk to think a bit about that. And that means Europe will be under pressure also to buckle under the under general winter, the, the threat that now they will be freezing in cold in the dark and they'll stop supporting Ukraine. So a shift in tactics and a major military upgrade. This war, though, since Russia has invaded Ukraine, has been fought on, on Ukrainian soil, for all intents and purposes. Yes. Uh, and, and from what I understand, Elliot, uh, NATO, and, and I know President Biden in particular, uh, have talked to, to the Ukrainians about this and simply said, look, uh, you can't attack these guys. I mean, you've, you know, yes, we're going to give you weapons, but you can fire them at Russian soldiers that are in your country. You can't. Uh, is this bridge destruction is this a shot a sign that the ukrainians are going to expand uh, this and become more aggressive uh, in, in in their attacks here certainly it's a sign of the capacity of ukraine to resist russia this is still ukrainian territory this is not russian territory although russia has claimed it since 2014 so it is not a violation technically of you can use our weapons but you cannot directly attack russia but this is not Russian territory. It's Ukrainian territory, as the, um, <laughs> as the Ukrainians put it, temporarily occupied. And the goal is to actually drive out Russia from all of the occupied territories, including Crimea, uh, which is a Russian bastion. So, no, I don't think so. The uh, key question after this annexation of four territories by the sham, you know, the sham referenda, all of that was meant to test the very question you just raised, Bill. So once those are Russian territory and not Ukrainian, these little artificial statelets, could Ukraine safely attack them? And can they attack them with Western weapons? And the answer is yes, they continued to attack them. Uh, they use Western weapons. Uh, so the West is not curtailing the use of the weaponry inside the territory of Ukraine as broadly defined. Uh, the territorial boundaries before 2014. 
But to that end, I'm glad you brought that up because the other story over the weekend, of course, uh, uh, was from Belarus, uh, where uh, Alexander Lukashenko uh, said that they're forming what he called a joint military group with Russia. Uh, Does that mean Belarusian troops are going to be involved in this conflict or is this going to be a launching area for Russian troops? What what are the implications there? Well, it certainly is a launching pad. The uh, Belarus, uh, (laughs) there's been an interesting relationship between Lukashenko and uh, the, the leader of Belarus who was saved from overthrow by one of these color revolutions by popular uprisings uh, by Mr. Putin. So they're very close allies, although they had difficulties in that relationship. The invasion of Ukraine and what was supposed to be the one-week war was in part through Belarus. And now there's a buildup there. But Belarus has not used its own troops. They clearly are reluctant to use their own troops. Uh, Mr. Uh, Lukashenko may not want to face the same thing that Mr. Putin is facing, major losses of his own troops uh, in the face of of successful Ukrainian resistance and attacks. But it does suggest that, once again, Ukraine is facing on multiple fronts the possibility of invasion and the fact that nuclear weapons, nuclear-capable weapons, might be stored now in Belarus is, I think, one of the big stories. One of the, um, and on that regard, what about the nuclear threat? There's a kind of a missing submarine. There's a sub that detached from the Russian Arctic fleet and has disappeared. Uh, I'm assuming Western intelligence has some idea where it is, but it is capable of delivering nuclear weapons. And in particular, uh, you can fish around the web and see this. uh, uh, There was an earlier animated version of how to take out the UK when that looked threatening to when Boris Johnson was so stalwartly standing behind Ukraine. It could launch a drone underwater, which could lead to an explosion, which could lead to a tsunami of 1,600 feet, and it would be radioactive and splash over wherever it's been uh, exploded. So keep an eye on the missing sub. But mainly, this is a big battle now, a shift in the tactics by, by uh, Russia. They are clearly on the defensive and losing this war. So what's the NATO response? You know, they're meeting, and, and I know they're talking with Zelensky, but it's all done virtually, of course, today. Uh, the, the sanctions are working. We know that. That's We're, we're seeing evidence of that. Uh, but that's the long game. Uh, is there a short game here? I mean, or do they simply say, look, it, we're going to stick with the same rules. We're not going to, not one boot on the ground. Uh, we'll give you the arms, but it's up to you. Is is, is it just a reaffirmation of, of the current status of what's happening? The Secretary General of the UN was, uh, of NATO was on air this morning talking about the fact that NATO support for Ukraine is unshakable and unbreakable and will continue. And that includes, uh, one of the big questions now is, who's going to run out of weapons, (laughs) Bill? (laughs) Russia is using up its weapons at a great rate. Can they replace them? But NATO also is using up existing stocks, things that are already there uh, that is being transferred to Ukraine in order to defend itself, but then what's going to backfill those? Uh, And a lot of the conversation in NATO now is how do we increase production of the weapons we need? Because remember, NATO also has to have weapons just in case they're needed uh, for defense. As as they say, our weapons are only for defense and for security and stability. But um, one intriguing suggestion from a Ukrainian source came just a short time ago, Bill, that, you know, the safest way out of this entire mess is for NATO immediately to take in uh, Ukraine because 
that would mean Ukraine would have a nuclear defense, basically, against Russia. And that would give Mr. Putin not only pause, but a way out. It would be an off-ramp. So it would defend Ukraine, and it would allow it would allow Mr. Putin to say, well, sorry, we can't really attack anymore. That's I don't think is going to happen. But the fact that Ukraine and NATO is, uh, is uh, all part of the same equation, there's no doubt at all that Ukraine stands, um, uh, has NATO standing with it, and that stance is unwavering. And the main effort, as I was trying to suggest earlier, that Mr. Putin is up to right now in the change of tactics is to shake NATO unity and EU unity by waiting for winter and by attacking that uh, all the infrastructure for energy production so that um, the resolve within Ukraine, I'm sorry, within NATO and the EU would be weakened. So it is a contest of will. I got a minute left here. I guess the overriding question is, I mean, for the last number of years, of course, uh, uh, you know, NATO has said no to Ukraine, when, and, and Zelensky has repeated uh, his desire to join ASAP, not unlike what happened with the Scandinavian countries. Right. Is there anything that could happen uh, in the next little while that would change NATO's mind to say, okay, you're in? Or they're just they're very guarded because of the implications and a face-to-face with Russia right now. And it, it kind of seems as if that's going to override any decision they're going to make. Earlier, there was a potential deal on the table, I thought, where Ukraine would say, we don't intend to join NATO, but we are going to join the EU. Yeah. And Russia at that point could say, OK, we that was our main concern. We didn't want you in NATO, but hey, the EU is all right by us. It's just an economic block. That deal, I think, is long off the table now with the success of Ukraine and the weakness of Russia on the ground. My concern now is, is, uh, is as always, what happens if nuclear weapons are introduced? Uh, that would change the equation for everybody. Elliot, we'll uh, be tracking this, of course, with great interest. Always appreciate your insight into this. Thanks so much for this today. Oh, you're very welcome, Bill. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor at uh, Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.